Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Supplemental Number 46, Inside Star Trek, with Rod Roddenberry. Welcome into this supplemental edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Now, each week on Mission Log, we pick apart an episode of Star Trek, examining it for morals, meanings, and messages, and seeing whether the whole thing stands the test of time. And that is not what we are doing today. No, we must oh, be in Las Vegas. Kills. Yeah, I know. We must be in Vegas if we're doing yeah. that joke, right? Except we're not. Hey, we just hit uh, episode 300 of Mission did Log. We? Yeah, we did. 300 yeah, episodes? Did. It, why, it seems like only yesterday we did 299. <laughs> well, it was actually a week ago. But yeah. Oh, no, okay. I, Yeah. So uh, a lot of people said, what are you going to do special for episode 300? And we had this crazy idea that what we would do was episode 300 of Mission Log. Because, you know, yeah. to do anything else would be... Well, it wouldn't be an episode of Mission Log, would it? No, it, it would be something else, and that and that's why we have the luxury of the supplemental episode. Because sometimes you gotta you gotta fill in, you gotta stop, you gotta reflect, you gotta do something different, you gotta change it up a little bit. Now, episode three hundred and one of Mission Log, well, we'll just be back on the regular mission, right? You know, exactly. That, that'll just sound like any other episode. You should be able to go to your shelf and and. Pull off a, a dusty old copy of Mission Log and and just say to yourself, look, I don't know if this is 200 or or 196 or 312. They should just all sound like Mission Log. Yeah. But a supplemental a supplemental could be anything. You know, you, you you say that, and I picture somebody in like a smoking jacket and like lots yeah. of wood paneling around and maybe like a like a snifter of brandy, you know, going so up you, and. You, so you see me when I record is what you're saying. <laughs> I guess I might be. <laughs> so here's the weird thing. So people might be thinking, oh, well, okay, so obviously they're going to pay honor, homage, what have you, uh, to the fact that they've done 300 episodes. And, uh, yeah, we're not doing that today either. Nope. Yeah. Nope. 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 <laughs> we will be doing that probably in the next week or so. We'll do that in, in a supplemental thing. Really, though, what happened here – I mean two things happened really recently. Uh, first of all, I went traveling without really accounting for the fact that we needed a mission log. And then on top of that, we recently got to go into Sansar, the virtual reality thing that you know, John and Rod and I have been working with for quite a while. We've done a few different events there. We had Doug Drexler, and of course, that was the last supplemental we brought you. We've done Trivia Night there a few times by the time people hear this. Um, one of the things that Rod really wanted to do, though, was uh, his dad. Uh, people know who his dad is, right? That, oh, you mean Gene Roddenberry? Yeah, yes, okay, okay. Uh, creator I wasn't sure. of Star Trek. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, so Rod's dad recorded an album around 1975, 76, uh, called Inside Star Trek, and what Inside Star Trek is is weird. <laughs> Yeah, that's one way to describe it. Uh, uh, pieces of Inside Star Trek were recorded while Gene was doing the college lecture tour. Pieces of it were recorded in a studio where he's sitting down with some of the actors, notably uh, William Shatner and Mark Leonard. And depending on the edition you got, some of the intros were done by Nichelle Nichols. So it was a little bit of a hodgepodge. It's a potpourri of Star Trek weirdness. And uh, I, I thought that Rod's idea was really great, which was let's pick tracks that we like or that we think are particularly weird or inspiring or interesting or provocative. Let's play those for a gathered audience in Sandstar and then talk about them and, and just say what, what's on our minds when we hear those. And uh, Rod has his favorites and you have your favorites. Mine, again, just weird. <laughs> so <laughs> so we, we got to explore that a little bit. And then uh, the beauty of doing the event in VR is that people from just all over the world could hang out with us on the bridge, listen to this in real time, and they get to have a conversation. So that's what you'll hear today in this supplemental episode of Mission Log. Well, thank you guys all for coming. Um, 
this is one of my favorite sort of, it's like a behind the scenes. It's like a really true behind the scenes of, of not just Gene Roddenberry, but Star Trek, um, the actors. It, it talks about the philosophy. It talks about the, the idea behind Star Trek. It talks about even a little bit of Quester, Sarek, um, Shatner. You even get to hear some of Shatner, and Shatner doesn't come off as a complete dick sometimes. So and it's really nice. It's, it's, so this is really one of my favorite sort of uh, um, things about Star Trek. So we each chose basically a track tonight from this album, and I think there's like 17 tracks on it. Um, they're all worth listening to, but these are some of our favorites. Um, I chose one, not to give too much away, but my, my father says this is essentially the type of, of uh, note or letter we would get from a network censor if we were talking about a particular uh, a script. And um, you, you'll hear more about that in a bit, but I want to... I wanna, I don't need to introduce John and Ken. You guys know them. They've been in here more than I have. Um, do you guys want to say a few words before we start? No, um... I, I, I think it's about it. I think the intention for tonight is that we uh, we give a listen to these tracks, and there's really nothing formal about it. We just want to hear your thoughts, and um, and hopefully these spark off a conversation. We're not here to sort of lecture about them. We all have our thoughts about the tracks yeah, yeah. that we picked, but it's really about hearing your reactions to them because they're they're definitely a slice of time. I think the album came out in 1976. So it's well before we had the revival of Star Trek. The animated series had come and gone. Gene was doing the college lecture circuit, so uh, a couple of the tracks are from that. Um, yeah, I, I think that's about all I have to say about putting it to context and, and what we hope to do tonight. So, yeah. yeah. Ken, go ahead. To me, this track just kind of speaks for itself. It's actually two tracks. One was uh, an intro, I think. Uh, it's about 30 seconds long, and I uh, edited that together with uh, one that's a little bit longer. Um, just sort of, well, there's no point really in my saying what he's going to say. I can just let him speak for himself. So if everybody's ready, we'll go ahead and roll into the first one. Let's do it. Let me do what we always try to do on Star Trek. Hopefully entertain you, perhaps even make you laugh a couple of times. And when your guard is down, slip in a heavy idea or two. Because science fiction is a remarkable device for looking at the human creature and into the human condition. Indeed, as Ray Bradbury has often said, science fiction may be one of the last places in our society where the philosopher can roam just as freely as he chooses. I think probably the most often asked question about the show is, is why the Star Trek phenomenon? And this is, incidentally, not just a fan or a Trekkie question. It is now being asked by communications experts, by sociologists, educators, and others. Uh, there have already been a couple of master's theses written on this, and there are a couple of doctorates uh, presently at work. And it could be an important question, because you can ask, uh, how can a simple space opera with blinking lights and zap guns and a hobgoblin with pointy ears uh, reach out and touch the hearts and minds of, of literally millions of people and become a cult in, in some cases. Obviously, what this means is that television has incredible power. Uh, they're saying that if a Star Trek can do this, uh, then perhaps another carefully calculated show could move people in other directions. What's to keep selfish interests uh, to, from creating other cults for selfish purposes, industrial cartels, political parties, governments. Ultimate power in this world, as you know, has always been one simple thing, the control and manipulation of minds. Fortunately, any attempt, however, to manipulate people through any so-called Star Trek formula is doomed to failure, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. First of all, our show did not reach an effect all these people because it was deep and great literature. Star Trek was not Ibsen or Shakespeare. To get a primetime show, network show, on the air and to keep it there, you must attract and hold a minimum of 18 million people every week. You have to do that in order to woo people away from Gomer Pyle, Bonanza, Beverly Hillbillies, and so on. Um, and we tried to do this with entertainment, action, adventure, conflict, and so on. But once we got on the air, and within the limits of those action and adventure limits, 
We, we did not accept the myth that the television audience has an infantile mind. We had an idea, and we had a premise. Thank you, and we so believe that. As a matter of fact, we decided to risk the whole show on, on that premise. We believe that the often ridiculed mass audience is sick of this world's petty nationalism and all its old ways and old hatreds, and that people are not only willing but anxious to think beyond those petty beliefs that have for so long kept mankind divided. Thank you. So you see that the, the formula, the magic ingredient that many people keep seeking and many of them keep missing is, is really not in Star Trek. It is in the audience. There is an intelligent life form out on the other side of that television tube. The whole show was an attempt to say that humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate, but to take a special delight in differences in ideas and differences in life forms. We tried to say that the worst possible thing that can happen to all of us is for the future to somehow press us into a common mold where we begin to act and talk and look and think alike. If we cannot learn to actually enjoy those small differences, take a positive delight in those small differences between our own kind here on this planet, then we do not deserve to go out into space and meet the diversity that's almost certainly out there. And I think this is what people responded to. The result of that was after seven years after being dropped by the network of, of saying those things, there are now more people watching it than ever before. And if you ascribe those things to any mystic or scriptural brilliance in Star Trek, you miss the entire point. What Star Trek proves, as faulty as individual episodes could be, is that the much maligned common man and common woman has an enormous hunger for brotherhood. They are ready for the 23rd century now, and they are light years ahead of their petty governments and their visionless leaders. Nice. So that's my favorite one from the album. <laughs> um, I mean, there's stuff that I don't know that I, honestly, there's stuff I don't know that I agree with. I think eventually, if the world plays out, you know, if we all live, I mean, eventually, we, you know, we all get together and we all sort of will have some commonalities. But, I mean, we're now in a place where... Uh, and then, and now, we're in a place where everybody's pointing to the things that are different and saying, that's what you should fear, that's what you should hate, whatever. Um, I love the fact that, I mean, he's under no illusion. It's not this bridge that made Star Trek what it was. It was Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. It was the fact that, that in the very first episode of Star Trek, things were going to be so good that people were going to get bored being in space. I mean, it's an amazing thing, and... Um, mm -hmm. Which one is it? Uh, the Man Trap, right? Mm -hmm. Man, mm -hmm. Man, the Man Trap's the one where, where sure. Uhura walks up to Spock complaining about how bored she is. <laughs> and that's that's amazing. I mean, the idea that we were going to get past, you know, the pettiness, that we are going to get past even the... that all of the amazing things that were envisioned would just become human things. I mean, that we wouldn't be, you know, fighting about... Uh, you know, that border or do they have enough money or do they have too much money or whatever, that we all get to a place where where we're cool um, and not letting, you know, where somebody is from, what color somebody is, how much money they have or don't have, any of those things um, get in our way. I'm also a huge fan of, of the thing in his intro where he said that science fiction is is, uh, is the place where a philosopher's uh, thoughts can really take flight, I believe is what he said. I'm not sure that's an exact quote. Uh, we've been having a debate lately with uh, have we? with yeah. fans of uh, fans of a, of a certain Star Trek, a couple of Star Trek series actually. And mm -hmm. what's been amazing is how many people say, "Well, you can't make TV like that anymore because that's not how TV is made." And what do really they mean by that? What are they, what's the? I don't understand. That's well, not how TV is made. You'd have to ask them. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, personally, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the phrase because it makes TV sound like you know a chemical reaction, and it's right. not. Right. If you have a good idea, and if you have compelling stories, and you can present those compelling stories, they don't have to be about fighting. Right. That to me it was one of the most one of the most fascinating things to hear him say is like, hey, science fiction is where everybody can go play. The number of people that John and I have run into over the past year or two who say, yeah, you used to be able to do that, but now TV's gritty. Well, only because people keep making gritty TV. 
right make yeah. tv that's not gritty and suddenly tv's not gritty anymore or at i least totally not, not agree every, not every channel so those were like a few of the reasons that i wanted to, to bring that but i'm curious John, there's Ron, something else anybody else go ahead yeah there, there's something else in it that i like that that speaks to uh gene's humanism where he talks about the the formula for star trek also not relying on sort of uh an outside or or divine revelation or some sort of special leadership but rather the 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 place that we achieve in star trek is because of the people working for themselves it's because of people working with each other not not waiting for some direction not trying to find an answer in a book somewhere it's about recognizing the the strength that we have in difference so uh yeah it, and it, it's a theme that he used very often in his speeches and later on in interviews but there's a, a nugget of it in that uh piece that you selected that sure. i uh that i really like yeah there was another thing that i i mean that i personally found kind of interesting i was trying to think about where he says it's not about the you know the zap guns and all that i tried to think of where else besides science fiction you could write this and I can't really think of anything unless you're going to go with a completely fantasy world, right? Because, yeah. and that's the thing that's been kind of weird again with discussions about Discovery and about Deep Space Nine is people <clears throat> look at the bridge of the Enterprise and say, "Well, I don't, I don't know where I fit in there." Yeah. And it's sort of like, well, I mean, I mean, you know, offense, but 20th century you doesn't necessarily. But here's the cool thing: or 21st century you doesn't necessarily. But it gives you a direction to go. It gives you it gives you a point, you know, on the map uh, to walk towards. Right. I think that's. I think that's part of the reason that people really enjoy things. It's like, oh, well, these characters are conflicted, and life is difficult for these characters. And like, oh, okay, well, I because you, know, you can identify with that. Is, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The problem yeah. is that sort of kills the aspirational part of it yep. at that point. At that point, you're just like, wow, I wish I were fighting with somebody on a really cool starship instead of fighting with somebody you know at the local convenience store. And that's kind of a sure kind of a kind of a which, which goes back to the. Which goes back to the Bradbury thing. Well, we got laser swords with that one, though, so I'm not yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, but it goes back to the Bradbury thing about, you know, you have, I mean, it's it's where your philosophy can actually sort of let go of, guy, ah, I need milk, you know? I mean, you just like, mm-hmm. forget it, or I need money or whatever. In science fiction, your philosophy can say, okay, well, we got money, we got milk. Okay, what do we do now? Right. Sure. I mean, what's the thing that I always say in, in different things that John and I have done is uh, the original series and the animated series and next gen sort of starts with and they lived happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Then this then this really cool thing happened. Right. I mean, we, we've gotten past our issues, which is not to say there aren't still issues out there, but we've gotten past, we've gotten past the ones that we're dealing with today, the, the petty ones. They're the yeah. ones that are holding us back. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Um. Anybody else have any uh, thoughts or, or yeah, surprises in hearing that? Because, you know, because yeah. we're also idiots and have no idea what we're talking <laughs> right. about. Yeah, that's a good point. So <laughs> very good point. And our own interpretations. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, just how relevant it is today. I don't know when that was done. When that was said, Rod, do you know what? Uh, yeah. Approximately year I, I think it's seventy six. Yeah, like, I think this is from seventy six. Oh, that yeah. recording was from seventy six. Yeah. Yeah. What he said where the nation was oh. at that point could have been said today. It could have. It yeah. easily yes, it could have. Amazing. No kidding, right? It's kind of scary, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird, though. I, I hear that last line, that the common malign man and woman is sick of the petty government leaders. and all. It, yeah. <laughs> We all are sick of that, but some of us are sick of it in such different ways. It's the division yeah. between us right now, you know? All right. of us want something yeah. different. We want change. Um, but my change might be different than yours. Right, right. Mm, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting because we all might want that. that, that right. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I've had people come up to me and say, "Yes, yeah, Star Trek. That's that's they use, of course, the word Pollyannish, but mm. that's fantasy. We can never have that future." And I'm right. like, "Are you kidding me? That mm. this is? Yes, we can. What, why what? do you think we can't?" About the about the only the only the reason I made that noise. I'm sorry. Um, wanting change is easy. Is easy. Um, wanting progress. 
or progress or progress or progress. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, I mean, that, that's sort of a different thing because you're right. I mean, both sides of, of whichever horrible political divisive whatever thing that you're talking about, like right now in the country and the time that we're standing in today, at least the three of us are standing. Mm-hmm. in. Today. I don't know every country that everybody is here. from. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, the left and the right both want change. It's just, you know. One side true, seems yeah. to want something very regressive. Once you know, once wants to you know, sort of stop change and maybe dial it back a tiny bit, whereas the yeah. other side seems to be kind of okay with things getting better for more people. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, that's my read. Any other thoughts? Please. Can people hear, hear me all right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's Elliot talking. Um, I just want to throw out this thing I saw on Reddit the other day that I thought was very cute. It was the question of when does our timeline and the Star Trek timeline diverge? Like, at what point does the Star Trek universe happen, and what time does, does our timeline happen? And there are lots of different theories of pulling up different episodes where they go back in time, or like, when apparently the Vulcans invented Velcro and gave it to a man in Minnesota when it was invented by Switzerland. Um, but my favorite one was um, it happened... Uh, the timeline diverges when Gene Roddenberry didn't survive that plane crash. Whoa, so, wow. The terrible wow. things with eugenic wars happened because we didn't have Star Trek to give us hope. Wow. wow. I've never heard yeah. that. That's that's cool. Oh. Huh. That's a funny idea. I don't think Gene Roddenberry would like it very much, honestly. <laughs> no, 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 of course no. not, but wow. <laughs> oh, I don't mean not surviving. I mean, I don't right, right. like the idea. The, the right. thing that you always talk I don't about think you would like not surviving either. Well, no, no well, that's, that's true. true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, but, what is, uh, Chariot of the Gods? <laughs> is that the one? Ch- yeah, Chariot of the Gods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know that better than I do. He actually hated that idea. Well, Gene, well, it, I, I hate that idea. Uh, Gene, it, it's weird. There was a time, particularly like around this album, that uh, I know that he was reading it, and I know that he was corresponding with people who were fans of it, and even going back to things like uh, uh, Planet of the Titans, the, that was sort of in the zeitgeist in the 70s. Um, so me, I, we, we've gone halfway down the road, and I just realized for people who don't know what Chariots of the Gods is. Oh yeah, it, so it's this novel that came out in the mid '70s that that sort of posited this whole idea about humanity being sprung from uh, from alien influence. You know that that everything that happened in ancient civilizations was because of aliens, and we are only here because of super advanced races that that nurtured us along the way. And uh, that is pardon me. True? SG-1. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, and of course it shows up in science fiction, like in it's Stargate and and in Quester uh, in, in two thousand one. Yeah, I mean, Quester, even the, the the Sentinel in two thousand one is this advanced uh, intelligence to sort of guides man along the way. But then you fast forward to Gene in the eighties, and I love that line where. Uh, I, I don't know what the question was in the interview, but his response was, uh, it, people say the aliens built the pyramids. Well, of course they didn't build the pyramids. Human beings built the pyramids because human beings are clever and smart and they work hard. You know, And I, I really identify with that. And it, again, that sort of piece of this in the, uh, uh, in the, the lecture piece that you picked, Ken, echoes that as well, saying, look, we, we don't need to find this thing out there. We don't need the alien to come along and make us do this thing. If we decide to agree to do something, whether it's to build a pyramid or put a man on the moon, we can do it because we're actually smart enough to figure it out. We just have to decide that we're going to work together to accomplish it. Yeah. Yes. And Sorry. scene. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done, champion, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, um, shall we? Shall we move on to the? I, I, actually, Rod, I, I have a question for you. Sure. Because uh, I, I noticed you looking at the screen. You put together this slideshow uh, for. Was that for Trek Nation or? You know, I don't. I, I, it's been so long, I don't remember. But I want to tell you guys a quick unrelated story. I don't know if I told it last time. You know what? I think I did tell it last time. I, I did it because I once I was trying to play a home video on the screen, and I hadn't uh, watched the home video, and it uh, it it got to the. My father had a sailboat named Star Trek many years ago, and he used to take it out with Jimmy Doohan and uh, his wife. And as I'm talking in front of the stage. 
everyone just starts laughing. I don't know what's going on. I turn around, and my father is zooming in and out on the breast of one of the ladies who were naked. <laughs> so I've now decided to sort of use this every time I'm talking about my father, just for safety. But there's, there's a lot of cool home photos in here. Like, do you see my father just kissing? Yeah, oh, wait, kissing. Is it uh, uh, yes, it uh, is. Uh, yeah. The ape, yeah. Kissing, yeah. Uh, yeah, one of the uh, Planet of the Apes girls. Uh, yeah. Excuse me, he, uh, that's, that's Dr. Zira. Was it Dr. Zero? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have home video of them coming down the stairs, Planet of the Apes monkeys coming down the stairs. I guess my, my parents must have thrown some crazy parties, and my father <laughs> starts kissing one of them. So it, I, that's a whole nother, we'll have a whole nother session of weird home videos. <laughs> um, yes, so yeah. some cool stuff up here. Yeah, I was just wondering if, as we were doing this, if you were looking at that, are there any kind of, other than your father kissing Dr. Zira, any other photos that are kind of a standout or a, a weird thing or uh, or anything you wanted to point out in particular? You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll interrupt you. It's actually been a little while yeah. since I've kind of gone through the whole thing. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, feel free if anyone sees one later on, you can ask. Um, cool. Yeah. All right. Should we move on to the next? Yeah. Uh, so I'll I'll play mine here, and uh, mine is oh, pardon me, Ken. Mine is uh, my, mine's a little weird. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. But it, it's about uh, Questor, and uh, for those of you who don't know, Questor was uh, a post Star Trek idea that Gene had been kicking around, and uh, uh, they produced it as a pilot. The pilot didn't sell, but it did air as uh, a movie of the week. I think it was in 1974, maybe 73? 74, I believe, yeah. 74? Um, and then, uh, so this is a little... Uh, uh, oh, yeah. So this is a little thing that he did about that in one of his speeches, and here we go. As some of you know, it's pretty hard to be serious about today's television. I think one of the uh, funniest incidents that did happen is before we were making a movie of the week that I, I know some of you saw, it was called The Quester Tapes. And thank you. I'm delighted you, you got it. Well, for those of you who did not catch that show on television, it, it had a, an interesting story. It, it was the story of an android robot who was outwardly indistinguishable from a human male, except perhaps that the, the computer mind, the programming of his computer mind made him incapable of hate, jealousy, violence, and other television star qualities. <laughs> In the original draft of the show, this, this android that we call Quester was searching for the man who had provided his blueprints and, and his parts, uh, essentially uh, the man who had created him, his creator. The robot wanted to know why he had been placed on this planet, which immediately got me in trouble with some of the television executives. Uh, one of them said, uh, and I quote exactly, uh, whoever heard of a character in drama being interested in the reason for his existence? In his case, I probably could have said, uh, what about Pinocchio? <laughs> but at any rate, the only, only way that Quester could locate his creator was through a, a very, very lovely woman who refused to talk. Fortunately, the android had been programmed in literature, which included the works of Maupassant, from which he had learned that sometimes the human female will open her mind to a man to whom she has opened other channels of communications. <laughs> in, in my original script, the android then made love to her. He was programmed for excellence in many areas. And he immediately secured the information. I was called to a meeting of the executives. <laughs> and they minced no words. A robot doing it to a woman was absolutely unacceptable. <laughs> the first thought that popped into my mind was, thank God I hadn't written a gay robot. I really would have been in trouble. <laughs> but I carefully explained to uh, these executives that the woman didn't know he was a robot. We, we would certainly use good taste in what we showed on the screen. But still, still, a great argument ensued. And after a bit, I thought my opponents were showing uh, human jealousy, perhaps even a masculine resentment against a mechanical man who could no doubt do anything he wanted, whenever he wanted, probably for as long as he wanted, for that matter. <laughs> but 
No, that wasn't it at all. After several hours, I finally realized that our disagreement was much more basic. Uh, what they were actually trying to say to me was a version that has been heard so many times on this planet of ours, uh, something that is so old that I, I couldn't keep uh, from laughing. What they were trying to say was simply, after all, Jean, how would you like your sister to sleep with a robot? <laughs> I lost the argument. Uh, Quester did not get the girl. But I remember driving home that night, I was kind of happy. I was saying, you know, in your whole writing career, how many times will you get an opportunity to create a whole new area of intolerance? There's a few things that I like about that, uh, not the least of which is I, I really wanted to get an, an audio clip uh, where someone says robot. Uh, for those of you who are joining us late, I, just, I, I find uh, uh, just so much pleasure in hearing that. It's a very, like, 1950s, 1960s thing that uh, if you watch episodes of The Twilight Zone where there is a robot, Rod Serling inevitably says robot. So that is my gift to all of you. Um, <laughs> The other thing is this idea of uh, Quester trying to find his creator is a theme that shows up in a lot of Gene Roddenberry's writing. So whether it's Data trying to find himself, Spock trying to find himself, not not literally not understanding uh, uh, how he was created, but trying to figure out who he is and who he should be. Uh, and then uh, movies like Star Trek Motion Picture, where you've got V'ger trying to find its creator and understand its purpose. So clearly this is one of those big themes that shows up uh, don't forget Cybok. Don't forget Cybok. Uh, Cybok is desperately trying to find, uh, yeah, yeah, mullet. something, and yeah, uh, yeah and, and create a little cult. Right. Yeah, it had a mullet, it had a staggering yeah. mullet. Yeah. So, um, so I thought the theme there was interesting, and then you know, I, maybe Gene's description of writing sexuality into the script or a little. A little dated to our uh, 21st yeah. century ears, but I I like the button he puts on the end of this, which is saying, you know, he, he I, I'm sure that he felt committed to the idea of that being an important scene in the script for Quester to have that experience. Um, and I, I liked his little joke about how it, had he made it uh, a male robot with a male, that would have been another bridge too far uh, for his audience. But I, I love the button on the end of it being uh, a whole new area of intolerance that he got to introduce to his uh, his network executives. That just sounds so, so perfectly like Gene Roddenberry, uh, even if he was making a joke of it at the time. It was so, interesting how much, um, I, not how much, but the, the I, I don't know if sexism is the right word, but the, the, the masculine, you know, when a man needs to get information from a woman, he uses his... Yeah, it's a very dated... Yeah, it's it, yeah, really sad, but, yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah. It was, I'm, I'm always, actually, I've watched Quester two or three times. I thought he did get the girl... Isn't it like, like they go to the bedroom and like you just see that's the implication? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, something yeah, like that. It all happened off screen, which is you know. Although I, he did just stand there and say it didn't happen, so I guess I shouldn't argue it. It's just weird. Maybe it was edited in such a way that it got up past them somehow or something. Oh, it could be. Because I know yeah. watching it, I've, I've, I've always... I'm gonna watch it now. We all should. We'll come back next week. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. it. Yeah. I honestly wouldn't. I would love to do. Quester is a very strange it's a very strange thing but it's it's not and it's it's bad but it's got a bunch of really cool ideas in it that would be um it would be yeah. interesting to explore a bit more I, my father always said it was his second pa favorite pilot it's the show he really would have wanted to see get off the ground and it's interesting <laughs> too because if you watch if you watch Quester I mean uh, uh, the that is the first time that you hear the line uh, that I am fully functional. Fully functional, yep. Oh yeah. right. Yeah. It was from yeah, Quester in seventy three <laughs> or seventy four, which of course Data said it in what eighty seven, eighty eight. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. if you presented exactly. it right now, then that networks would go crazy over it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. It's almost too late now. We've we've actually yeah. been pitching Quester. For a number of years, and uh, we recently tried to repitch it again, 
And I sat there struggling because even in our own pitch, I'm like, well, they've got that in Westworld. Battlestar Galactica did that, you know, and it's sort of like, mm-hmm. huh, what's the next incarnation? And we came up with a pretty decent twist, but it still wasn't enough, and we weren't able to get it off the ground. But it, it'll happen one day. I think Quester will, will rear its head one day. I just uh, I don't know in what form. Because you can't do the Cold War. I mean, the Quester was during the Cold War, and it was yeah. the, 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 the Americans and Russians and Chinese and, and the nuclear weapons and that whole thing. Yeah, so you got also There's also a lot about dark money, though, honestly, mm-hmm. which is a weird thing to see mm-hmm. in 70-whatever. But, I mean, he was very much about, like, wow, why is that thing happening in this place that nobody's paying attention to and shouldn't be happening that way? Yeah. I mean, which is, I mean, he's, it, it seems to me that he is a, you know, um, more than man for all times. I wonder yeah. if we should do or if we can do a Quester screening because I've had something in Quester that's bothered me my whole life. And that's I the, think that would be great. Yeah. That's the ending of it. It's on YouTube, yeah. right? So we can just yeah. show YouTube. Well, I'd, I'd love to do that. I just have that one question in the end and I don't want to ruin it because it, it just bothers me. It seems counter to what my father's philosophy was. Okay. And, yeah. and, it's, and it's relevant in the sense that, oh, you know, we can bring it up because it, it was in Inside Star Trek and it's in sort of what you guys just said. Which is, uh, um, was it humanity that got us to where we are, or did someone help us or show us the way someone guide us? And that was the implication, not to give too much away in Quester, but that's the implication in Quester. And so, anyhow, we should yeah. probably have that discussion another time. Let, let's do a screening. Let, yeah, we'll, we'll figure out a, a, a time and a date. You're all invited. Sweet. Sounds fun. Lock out in four hours. We <laughs> get a chair. Yeah. No, no. It's what's what is it? A forty-two minute? Yeah. Oh no, it's no, it's an hour and a half. But then there's the conversation afterwards. Oh, that's right. It is an hour and a half because it's, it's a, a it's a, a, movie it's a two-parter. Yep, yep, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I'll get comfortable, everyone. Well, I tell you, uh, without further ado, then I'll uh, I'll move over here and Rod, right. if you want to go over there over and there. push a button. All right. <clears throat> All right. So, so mine might be. As you'll hear them say, wildly inflammatory, because it has to do, um, the, the, the title of it is uh, A Letter from a Network Censor. And it, it is my father sort of poking fun at, at censorship in the day and, and the kinds of memos that he, he may or may not have gotten from network censors at the time. But obviously within that, it, it goes into religion and the Bible. I'm, I'm sorry to give too much away right then and there, but I, I just want you guys to know that, that it, it is, it is going to either get you cheering your hand up and going, yeah, or like, that son of a bitch. <laughs> so so with, without further ado, uh, I am this... Nope, that's John. Oh, I was up here. Got it. Here we go. We are uh, recording this for a Columbia record tonight, and the uh, record company said, why don't you write a typical memo, an, an honest one of the kind you actually get back from a, from a network when they want to censor your show. And so... I've done that, and in order to show you how they censor, pretend with me that we have submitted uh, a script to them based on a classic. In fact, let's, let's choose the uh, best-selling book of all time. Here is exactly the kind of memo we'd get back. Gentlemen, reference your script, the Bible. We are concerned with the story's preoccupation with violence, sex, nudity, and other television code violations. We are particularly concerned over your story protagonist, God, who seems to us completely unmotivated and rather bloodthirsty. Also, this principal character, as presently written, seems to us highly prejudiced in the favor of a single tribe. We remind you that the television code requires equal treatment of blacks, Asians, Chicanos, American Indians, and other minority groups. Exactly as it would come. I, so help me. We are equally concerned with the characterization of the principal character's son, who is portrayed in wildly inflammatory revolutionary conduct, which appears to ridicule wealth, banking and loan advertisers, and the American way of life. His attitudes must be clearly labeled to impressionable young television viewers as reprehensible. Specifically, and they always have a list of of things that you've got to change. 
Please delete references to God making woman out of Adam's rib. This network is an equal opportunities employer with commitments to female equality. <laughs> Opening sequences are too suggestive. Delete language and both were naked. Their subsequent apron of fig leaves will not be a suitable garment in the case of the female. Also, the tempting of the female by the serpent seems to have sexual connotations. Recommend serpent be substituted with frog or badger. <laughs> Caution in excessive violence throughout, particularly the case of God drowning over 99% of mankind. Also, we must question the story logic of having an all-knowing, all-powerful central character who creates faulty humans and then blames them for his own mistakes. <laughs> In order to make this character more sympathetic, please delete his exhibitions of wrath and also any indications of a personality insecurity, such as his constant demands for praise. Sons and daughters of Noah cannot be shown and described as repopulating Earth as television code forbids ancestral relationships. <laughs> Recommend a fleet of arcs. <laughs> or, or, or perhaps strong swimmers from other families can be saved. <laughs> Delete continual references to virgins, such description of the character Mary is acceptable as a story point, but only if it is clearly indicated that her relationship with main character is totally platonic. Otherwise, a marriage ceremony must be indicated. <laughs> Specifics in the portrayal of their son, he cannot be shown as practicing medicine without a license. <laughs> Delete his biased political views, such as peace at all costs his mocking of established courts and judicial systems, and his ridiculing of normal attitudes toward capitalism, profit, and the laying up of treasures. All of this is further aggravated by your description of the character. Must he be shown as bearded and barefoot? In summary, a rather extensive rewrite seems indicated. It is suggested that the writers be constantly guided by the question, is this suitable for family hour viewing? Let you all know whether you, you love me or hate me for it. Regardless, um, I am I am an atheist. Uh, I do not believe in God, and I do not believe in network censors. Um, <laughs> network censors uh, are real. They are yeah. demonstrably uh, proven. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I still don't believe in them. Um, so this one has always struck me. I mean, there's there's so many things. Of course, my father's taken a dig at, at network censors, and he's kind of making fun of the whole thing. But he's really sort of showing his true colors as his belief in, in the world and, of course, religion and specifically Christianity. And I do not want to get into a political debate. I'll acknowledge I have never read the Bible. I have never read any of the other books. This is not really what I'm going into. But I just kind of wanted to pull out a few lines in here that I thought were, were really interesting to me. Um, and, and the points in here, like, the Bible is so violent it would be considered unsuitable by TV network standards. Um, that, that, is, that is kind of interesting. Um, they talk about the protagonist being bloodthirsty. Well, it's not really a benevolent one like we'd expect a protagonist to be in today's uh, uh, or in, in any uh, era's uh, TV standards. Um, even by today's. Today's we've got protagonists who do some pretty rotten things, but it makes a good point that the Bible's got a lead character who's, who's pretty vicious at times. Um, I thought it was funny, the, the one tribe. It shows the, the prejudice in, um, and the discrimination by, uh, that's in the Bible. Um, and it was really funny. I had never really heard this until like the few times I've, I've, I listened to the, the audio track later. But I just put it together. Jesus is un-American uh, sure. because of inflammatory mm -hmm. conduct. Again, I'm not saying these as my beliefs. These are just things that I heard in there that I thought were really like, oh, wow, I can't believe he said that. Um, 
I don't, you actually had that happen the other day. Um, Jeff Sessions was speaking at a, a yeah. religious liberties conference of uh, conservative lawyers in Boston, and two people, one of whom is actually the same denomination as Sessions, had the audacity in a religious liberties uh, a conference to stand up and start quoting the Bible at Jeff Sessions. Yeah. And, and they were removed. Wow. Yeah, wow. uh, okay. mostly, mostly the red letter part, mostly the Jesus part is what they were. Right, right, right. Not, not the Old Testament one, because um, the, you know, the angry God, I think, uh, I think Sessions has a, yeah. has a hotline to him. That's a pretty <laughs> remarkable piece of footage, uh, if you find it out there. It's, yeah. It, it just it, happened, it, huh? Yeah, it just happened the other day. and uh, on Monday, and, I think. Yeah. yeah. Right. And there's video of it out there, and it's pretty outstanding because it goes on for a couple of minutes, and the, the, the one minister starts, and another kind of chimes in to back him up. And, uh, yeah, it's... And then it's, security removes them. And then them security and removes the them, yeah. Stayed wow. And applauded when security removed them. Yeah. Having the audacity. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Yeah. I, I love that, uh, that track so much, and, and to me, it's... Um, I mean, I don't just love the content of it. I love the style of it because mm-hmm. it, it's your father doing his Mark Twain impression. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I read a lot of Mark Twain when I was in high school and college, and I, I, I kind of want to go back and re-familiarize myself. My dad was a big Mark Twain fan, and uh, I, well, I assume he still is a big Mark Twain fan. We haven't talked about <laughs> it in a while. But um, uh, like one of the, the simplest and funniest and most pointed things that he wrote that always stuck with me is uh, the war prayer. And it's just a really short, it's maybe like four paragraphs. And he's, uh, he's writing in the voice of this, say, you know, Civil War era uh, preacher who's, who's giving this, uh, uh, saying this prayer, uh, hoping that, that his side of the army just bashes and obliterates the other side and he's like it's all the this like violent horrible uh imagery saying you know oh lord we we beseech you to uh to twist the ankles and remove the heads and see blood spewing spewing forth from our enemies we say this in your name love jesus <laughs> you know <laughs> and, and, and it's great because it's 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 twain you know, doing what he does best, which is able to take on a couple of ideas all at once, yeah, bring yeah. them together in the perfect, absolutely pointed satire. Yeah. And uh, and that's what I love about this track, is he, yeah. he skewers the network. I, I honestly, I, I don't believe that Columbia Records said, you know what would be a good track? Uh, why don't you write this thing that is pretending to be from a network censor? I seriously <laughs> doubt a record executive from Columbia asked him to do that. I think he had that as an idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and your point. father had it as an idea and said, ooh, I've got this thing that I want to get off my chest. And he found the perfect way to write it. Right. Because... They, they didn't expect him to go down the road he went, though, I bet you. No, 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 no. And, and not only is it the perfect example of the kind of ridiculous network censorship he would have faced anyway, mm-hmm. look, he could have pulled any one of hundreds of memos from network censors during the run of Star Trek or Quester pointing out inappropriate or just kind of ridiculous content uh, or, or ridiculous uh, uh, censorship that they had about his ideas. He didn't. He could have done that. He didn't have to go the route of lampooning the Bible, right? But he decided to do that as well, right. and uh, and make some great points along the way. So very much a twofer. Go for it. Can I, yeah. can I be a tiny bit pedantic? Do you feel like he's lampooning the Bible, or is he lampooning false piety? Uh, I, I think he's he's managed to cast a pretty wide net and yeah, do all okay. of the above. Yeah, okay. but I mean, he's so specific, obviously referring to the Bible that that it, it seems to narrow in on that. But I think it applies to so much more, of course. Mm, okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a good enough piece that it stands up to uh, a pretty you know pretty varied interpretations, if you want. Yeah. You know. Sure. Is he lampooning piety, false piety? Yeah, sure. I think he's also catching a lot of other things in there as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, I would say when I when I kept reading or hearing this over and over, I, I think uh, censorship was the least of them. Yeah. Like he really yeah. went in hard on on Christianity and religion. I mean, that's the the most I've ever heard him say in yeah. a dare I use the words negative manner. Uh, yeah. But he did it in such a fun way. 
forgive me. I think this is where I mean I I hear a guy on there who actually respects Jesus. He doesn't respect how Christianity is misused. I mean, he's sure, saying that, sure. He's saying yeah. that the hero of the book, that the uh, that the protagonist's son, um, holds some pretty anti-American views, including like you know. Uh, not liking the fact that people are trying to take advantage of other people who need money. I yeah. mean, honestly, I think, I mean, I know your dad was not uh, any sort of practicing religious anything, but he would probably be a red letter guy as opposed to, yeah. as opposed to the totalitarian. Uh, the absurdity of, of all these things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I think it really has uh, a respect for the philosophy that then yes. <laughs> clear, that clearly was, was used. Yeah, yeah, people. clearly was not being followed. <laughs> Then yeah. or now, yeah. Yeah, but even the book, and I haven't read it, but I mean, these yeah. things in it, you know, your 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 god character is bloodthirsty and, and that sort of thing. And there sure, is, sure, yeah. It, there is everything that he said in there. So it's, yeah. it's again, not saying that it's it's bad or wrong. It's not my cup of tea. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I think it was just pointing out the things that that seem to be contradictions in it. Anyhow, yeah. we're going down Makes a dark sense. path here. Because um, <laughs> we may not all have the same point of view on this. But, but does anyone have any thoughts on this? Whether it's religion-based or censorship-based or the fact that we, we, we played this here. No, I no? thought it was great. How can you say that they yeah. have anti-American views in the Bible when most, when probably all the people in there were not from America? America wasn't a, even around then. That's a good point. It's a very Probably. good point. Yeah. Probably not from America. <laughs> Probably not from America, yeah. Yeah. This is just me, but I think he was, it just felt like he was saying more about censors than the Bible. He was just kind of using it as a example. I mean, it may reflect his views and all, but I think he was just trying to make a crack about the censors, really. It, it's interesting because yeah. you hear what you want to hear, right? And I've yeah. listened to this a number of times, and I really gravitated to hearing his comments about religion and the Bible. And See, that's I, how I, I probably, thought. And yeah. I may not have heard what you religion. heard. Not that either one of us heard the wrong thing. We just put our own biases. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, 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 I put my own biases on it, even though I, I, I don't love censorship either. I don't, think, I mean, it was it so, I don't yeah. think it was so much about the people in the Bible not being from America, but so much that <laughs> Americans today, in a large, a large group of it, apply the standards from the Bible to America. So yeah, yeah. And see, it, well, and to me, it was more like the people who will wear a cross on there. Um, a friend of mine told me a story one time that uh, she had gone to church with her family. It was the holiday or something. And on their way out of church, there was a homeless person sitting on the steps and somebody in front of them grabbed their child and moved them as far away from the homeless person on the steps of the church as they could possibly get. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm getting out of this is they're like, oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, this Christ thing's pretty cool because we lose the part where he actually wants people to act like Christians. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Or what they're yeah. supposed to be anyway, or what they what the book says they're supposed to be. Well, sure. that's a that's a skewed vision all in all. I mean, that what you just described right there is not Christian. Um, I was born and raised Christian. Um, I, 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 mean, I like pushing somebody aside because I agree with you. That's very much not. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I was in a Bible study in college. I, I'm sorry, we're going down this path, but I was in a Bible study in college. Um, I'm not. I don't really count myself as Christian anymore because I've grown and, and developed my own opinions and stuff. But um, in college, we had a uh, Bible study leader who basically said um, Christians should not have friends that are non-Christian because they have a chance to pull you down. And I was like, wow. that is that is messed up. I mean, if anything, you should have friends that are non-Christian because Jesus in the Bible never surrounded himself with only, with only Christians because you have a chance to influence them the same as they have a chance to influence you, so I don't understand that logic. But anyway, I think we digress. Yeah. And no, no, good for yeah, thought. We are, good for uh, thought. running out of time. All right. Nope. All right. Well, it, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the next one. Well, we do have one. We're ending on one that we didn't really put in here for to, to, to have a discussion about. It's just one that, that I felt, and I think John and Ken feel the same way, is as a... Mm-hmm. A beautiful sort of encapsulation of, of the, the philosophy of Star Trek and the philosophy of Gene Roddenberry and sort of this, this better future and hope for humanity. And it's just, a, it's just beautiful. It almost brings a tear to my eye when I hear it. So, um, but John, Ken, is there anything else you want to? Uh, no, I, I don't think, think so. Yeah. Anyone else? Oh. So the censorship argument in a modern medium mm-hmm. would be like you could apply the same. Uh, fake memo to that, assuming you can get that 
coherent of a policy memo out of, of something like Facebook or any modern web medium, right? It'd be it interesting. would work the same way. The, probably the, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's I, relevant I, today, I think. But not even to go down that road, I found some of the censorship comments to be okay. They're talking about we are an equal opportunity employer. I was like, oh, <laughs> right. good, I hope so. <laughs> are, they, are they referencing yeah. the FCC when they talk about, cens talk about censorship? Um, uh, could could be, and and also keep in mind that network standards though in the seventies very different from network standards today. You know, yeah. where you, you did have things like equal time clauses that they had to follow, and that's just sort of out the window now. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to end on a high note, folks. Now that I brought okay. you down to the bottom. <laughs> uh, not that one. Not that one. Not that one. Here we go. This one, and uh, here we go. Oh, the letter was from Columbia Records. Dear Jane, is there a story behind Star Trek which hasn't been told? An intimate or very personal beginning? If so, we think it belongs on the inside Star Trek record. <laughs> All right. I can talk about things now that would have embarrassed me once. And maybe my story could be helpful to you if you're somehow different from other people or handicapped. Most of us are in one way or another. I guess Star Trek had its first beginnings in the fact that, as a child, I was different, handicapped. I had difficulty breathing, eyes that didn't work well in bright sunlight, spindly-legged, weak, uncoordinated. I wasn't a very pretty thing, and I suffered the awful embarrassments that only a child can feel. I don't suppose every writer has to start like that, but if I had been the things that I dreamed of being, agile, athletic, admired and popular, I know now that I never would have ended up with as happy a life. I became a reader. Thank God I became a reader. I lived in a dream world because it was a hell of a lot better world. I was Dr. Doolittle. I was Zane Gray's lonely cowboy, an explorer. Lots of it trash. I was an Indian fighter, fearless soldier, a fighter ace. If you read Peanuts, I was Snoopy. I fought the Red Baron many times. Certainly part of Star Trek was written by that boy, dreaming maybe as you do of a better world in, in which people would look past our exteriors and see whatever loveliness we have inside us. I remember being about eight years old in the backyard, sitting in a soap carton, pretending that it was a great vessel of some kind, and the bold, strong person hidden inside of me, he was the captain. I remember it was an enclosed vessel because I had a second soap carton pulled down over my head. After sitting there for several hours, still encased in soap cartons, I heard the concerned voices of my parents speculating whether my illness had led to brain damage. <laughs> ah, how lovely all our daughters are inside. How fearless all our sons, if only we could see it. I remember helping my father clean the garage. Actually, he was cleaning. I was facing the firing squad. The bullets caught me, spun me to the ground, and as I lay there, bravely dying, I looked up to see Dad watching me with pity on his face, assuming I was suffering some new kind of seizure. Years later, something brought me back to reality. Science fiction. Yes, incredible. Science fiction taught me how to live in the real world. Thank you, Homer, my ex-convict friend. Thank you for John Carter of Mars. It made your cage more bearable. It helped rescue me from mine. And thank you, Claude, for that first copy of Astounding Stories magazine. Sorry you, you didn't reach 16 and grow out of your illness as I did. I was lucky, a miracle of adolescence. My body mended. I actually became stronger than average. But science fiction saved me from that, too. Saved me from the perils of a strong body. I had learned by then that reality is incredibly larger, infinitely more exciting than the flesh-and-blood vehicle we travel in here. If you read science fiction, the more you read it, the more you realize that you and the universe are part of the same thing. Science still knows practically nothing about the real nature of matter, energy, dimension, or time, and even less about those remarkable things called life and thought. But whatever the meaning and purpose of this universe, you are a legitimate part of it. And since you are part of the all that is, Part of its purpose, there is more to you than just this brief speck of existence. You are just a visitor here in this time and this place, a traveler through it. 
What a difference that makes. As a traveler here, it no longer crushes you that this world is not always fair or orderly or understandable. Your passport allows you to fix what you can, to love, to refuse to take part in ugliness. But meanwhile, you are delighted that this is such a varied, colorful, exciting place. As a traveler, you're not here to judge, but to experience. You begin to feel a new affection for the life forms here. You no longer feel threatened that some may be greater or lesser than you. It's only important that you've been given this marvelous opportunity to enjoy this trip, to learn from it, and in my case, write about it. Perhaps you know where I'm leading. On a trip like this, and it is a trip, its loveliness is not in the sameness of people and things, but in their incredible variety. Eventually, this led me to the Star Trek statement, Idik, infinite diversity from infinite combinations. Thank whatever created us, we are different each of us, and everything around us. To the end of time, if it ever does end, no combination will ever come up quite the same. That's quite a travel package. All of this is how Star Trek began, and it's also something of what it's about. I am an alien, <laughs> and so are you. And yet, and this is the loveliest thing of all, somehow we're also part of each other and part of everything that is. I don't know if this has a moral or not. Maybe it's don't sit inside soap gardens too long. Unless you enjoy traveling. Yeah, that's, that's the amazing. best message. Yeah, that's I love it. Good. That is the ultimate message, guys. That's in my opinion. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We can all take something away from that. That's well, really good. thank you all Definitely. for uh, coming Great. again. I appreciate all of you showing up. <clears throat> Um, yeah. And John, Ken, thank you for putting yeah. this together. And of course, Torley and, and I, I, who else did I see? Who else here? we have? Elliot. 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 I saw Elliot over, yeah. Yep. Okay, I got to learn and how to do this. Thank you for being Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much to Ken and John and Roderberry for putting together yeah. this wonderful and very yeah. philosophical yeah. and insightful yeah. event. I think everyone's going to take a. I'm inspired. Well, we're all trying, we're always trying to find different things to do, and this seemed like a different thing to do. And I know it's weird for us all to come into a room and look at each other and then listen to things. And I know John and Ken and I were fine up here sort of chatting and saying things, but we, we never want to feel – I can only speak for myself, but I'm pretty sure I can speak for them. We never want to we, – we certainly don't have all the knowledge. We want to hear from you guys, and if you disagree with a comment we make and stuff like that. So anytime we do this, we do want it to be a discussion. So uh, please always feel free. Have we ever given out our email address here? Because if anybody doesn't feel comfortable, it's like typing up, or if there's somebody whose mic isn't working or whatever, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen over there, you and I had the, had a similar upbringing, I think, as far as like what I was hey. compared to what I am now. Yeah. 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 If you yeah. wanted to, if you wanted to send us an email, I'd, I'd love to continue our conversation a bit more. Um, yeah, that's so, cool. Uh, mission log at roddenberry.com and anybody else and if anyone wants Ken or John's home address just come to me and I'll be happy to go to it's no problem does it narrow down to like 10 block radius does it make dinner I'm just just kidding make it a treasure hunt clues (laughs) right these guys are great with blue apron as long as it pays me yeah. <laughs> oh, there will always be food involved. I mean, if you, if you find me, you can count on that. Um, yeah, and the same thing about the email. Uh, we mentioned it last time during trivia, but if you have ideas for other events, you know, the things you'd like to do. I love the idea of doing Quester. Mm-hmm. We have trivia coming up in November and then the final round in December. Um, we want to book more people in the Roddenberry Nexus to do walkthroughs and chats. So uh, if you have ideas for stuff like that, let us know that way, too, and we'll, uh, we'll try to get it on the calendar for sure. Yeah. Um, if you haven't heard the rest of the album, check it out. It's on YouTube. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of great tracks on there. And, and honestly, you can't listen to this stuff. I mean, listening to it once is not enough because I keep picking stuff out of it. So, Wow. Can you, can you bring us phasers next time? <laughs> yeah. See what we can best. do. Yeah. Set to stun, of course. Of course. Yeah, right, right, right. Honestly, what we did there is the kind of thing that I had always hoped that we were going to do when we started talking about doing things in Sansar. It's great that we've got the museum. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's great that we've got the bridge. That's fantastic. The really cool thing is getting people together to talk about Star Trek or, you know, talk about other things as well. I mean, I would love, yeah. I mean, for people who don't listen to Mission Log Live, 
or don't, you know, uh, take part in the live show or things like that. We have, you know, sometimes we have, I don't know, we, sometimes we have actors, sometimes we have people who have been behind the scenes on Star Trek, sometimes we have big thinkers. I would like to bring all of that into the VR space. But one of the things that I'm always mm-hmm. saying, and I think John gets sick of it, I think Ron gets sick of it, <laughs> I want to make sure that we can actually pull the audio out of that too, because not everybody is interested in doing the VR thing, not everybody has the hardware that it takes to do the VR thing. Um, but there's some really cool stuff that I'm hoping we can keep, you know, having happen there, but then bring it out to everybody else too. So yeah, thank you very much for, you know, letting us do that. And, uh, and, and I hope you enjoyed uh, what you heard today and, you know, maybe you can pop in and see us when we're actually doing a live event there sometime. Now we're still in sort of a weird place as far as what's coming up next. Why don't you uh, let people know what's, uh, what's ahead, John? Yeah, so uh, you're hearing the supplemental this week, and then of course next week, uh, if you're in fact not Canadian, uh, if you're an American and you celebrate American Thanksgiving, uh, by the way, that's a callback to a whole conversation we had, uh, I believe on episode 300 of Mission Log, um, then yeah, it is the Thanksgiving holiday. Traditionally, we have not released a new episode of Mission Log on Thanksgiving Day, uh, because a lot of people are just out there doing other things. So uh, we will release a supplemental, kind of a Q&A, a talkback episode, and then we'll be back with your regular mission the next week. So that'll be episode 301, uh, Paradise, I believe that one is, Ken. Paradise, John. We'll mm-hmm. see you soon. podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network